something uh, that has been on my heart for a long time, and uh, exposing cultural lies. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this up. This is, I'm going to have to set this up. And so it may, it may feel a little bit like school at first, but you know what? Here's the way I see it. God's people need to be taught. And so my way has always been Sunday morning inspirational, Wednesday night informational. That's the way I do it. I like to open the Word Wednesday nights. I like to teach. And I believe Christians want to learn. Amen? I'm not going to hype you. I just want to teach you. And so tonight we're going to talk about exposing cultural lies. And I'm going to deal tonight with the more than one way to salvation lie. The more than one way to salvation lie. Now, let's stand together, and we're going to read Romans 1, and this series is going to come out of Romans 1. Romans 1. And I encourage you, since we're only in one chapter, to read it. Read it ahead of time. Read it over the next few weeks. Romans 1 is so powerful, and it just exposes and destroys the major cultural lies that are coming against you and me in our day. So let's read... Romans 1, 15 through 16, and then we're going to pray and get started tonight. Are you ready? Paul says, So for my part, I am willing and eagerly ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, good news of Christ. For it is God's power working unto salvation for deliverance from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender and firm reliance to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we thank you, Lord, that even though the culture is loaded with lies, the truth of your word shines like a beacon and will not be extinguished. Lord, I pray that you'll open our understanding, sharpen our minds, fill our spirits with your truth, Help us to be ready, Lord, to answer the lies that are coming against us in our day. Thank you, Lord, that you have come and you have given us an understanding that we might know you. Thank you, Lord, for the great teacher of the church, the Holy Ghost of God, teaching us tonight. In Jesus' name, now will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, open my understanding. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And um, before we move on down with this, let me just quickly say I'm going to deal with uh, three or four things in the next few weeks. The first one tonight is the lie that there's more than one way to salvation or that you don't need salvation at all. I'm shocked at how often I hear church leaders who are on television who can't even answer whether or not Christ is the only way to heaven. We're going to deal with that. Then next week, I'm going to deal about w- with the lie of evolution. And you have got to get this next week. Don't miss it. Because the lie of evolution has affected you. The lie of evolution is in your mind. To what level or not depends on how far the word has penetrated your thinking. But we have got to be clear on the lie of evolution. Because I personally believe God's going to blow that lie apart in the years to come. All right? Then the week after that, I'm going to deal with the lie, and I'm careful here, but I'm going to say it, 
the, the lie of homosexuality and lesbianism. Now, in saying that, um, I want you to understand that I'm not going to be up here condemning anybody, judging anybody, pointing a long, bony finger at somebody. But the reason I want to address it, and evolution, and this tonight, is because basically the culture has said to us, put up your dukes. The culture has so bombarded us through the media, through books, through magazines, you name it, with these cultural lies that they have basically called us out into the middle of the street for a showdown, and I want to answer it. That's why I'm answering these things. And it's not going to be a condemning message. It's going to be a good one, but it's going to be rated PG-13. I'm telling you now. You know why? Because Romans 1 is. And so we're going to be dealing with things like that because we've got to have the answers, folks. And, 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 and don't we want to know what saith the Lord about these things? So um, I'm going to deal with it in love, and you're going to see that. I'm going to deal with it uh, gently, but I'm going to deal with it truthfully. And I believe if we do it that way, it may set some people free. So may God help us in the next few weeks, amen, amen. To, to just see what says the Lord. All right, let's go where angels fear to tread. All right, now follow along with me. Our culture is daily bombarded with well-planned, strategically placed lies that are deliberately anti-Christian, anti-biblical, and anti-God. Have you noticed that? This has always been the case. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. If you've seen it now, it happened back then. If you see it now, it's going to happen again. Ever since the death and resurrection of Christ, each generation has been attacked with deceptions uniquely designed to overthrow its faith in God and in Christ. Follow this now. This is the truth. To bring this about, the enemy has most powerfully used the philosophical meanderings of what we might call seminal thinkers. Now, before I show you what a seminal thinker is and what I mean by that, picture a huge boulder on a beach. Just picture a huge boulder on a beach, really close to the water. And now picture huge successive ways crashing into that boulder, sometimes with a, with a great noise, over and over and over again. Yet the boulder, the rock, stands, and the waves are that which dissipates and fades away. The waves do not prevail over the rock. This is what I mean when I tell you that since the death and resurrection of Christ, there have been in every generation, if you want to go study church history or just history period, you'll find it. Every generation has experienced the crashing of a philosophical wave that hit that generation, hit that culture with ungodly, unchristlike, antichrist propositions 
that tore down the faith of people. When I say philosophy, that comes from the Greek word sophia. And sophia means wisdom. So philosophy is wisdom, and it's, it's the wisdom of man. That's what philosophy is. And I want you to understand, church, tonight that the most serious attacks of Satan are not little noises that go bump in the night or giving you a flat tire or making you cuss. I want you to understand that we're dealing with a being that though fallen was an archangel and his intellect is light years above yours and mine. And I want you to understand this about him. He's after your faith. He's after the faith of whole generations and whole cultures. And so when he really drops a nuclear bomb, it is always philosophical in nature. It is designed to pull out the rug from under you of your faith, of your trust in the Word of God, of your belief in God. And when these nukes, these philosophical nukes are dropped, they're very, very, very convincing and very effective. He's after your thought life, your mind, because he knows if he can destroy your faith in Christ and in the Word of God and the, and the veracity of the Word of God, the trustworthiness of the Word of God, then you walk away from God and you drift until the day that you die. And, I, and what I'm wanting to show you tonight is that he goes after entire societies, entire cultures, and he uses what I'm just going to call seminal thinkers. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. By seminal, I mean highly original. That's what the word means, highly original and influential, containing or that which contains an idea or set of ideas that forms a basis for later developments. Seminal thinkers come up with stuff. They're usually intelligent people and often well-meaning people, but they are not biblical people. And they come up with thought systems and belief systems and philosophies that when it's a true seminal thinker, it finds its way into an entire culture. And it is assimilated into the minds of most of the people in that culture. You remember, uh, let me give you an example. Remember when you had the nuclear meltdown at Chernobyl in the Soviet Union? And a lot of people that were there and, and, and within miles of this, this nuclear meltdown, for years they seemed okay. But 10, 15, 20 years later they began to come up with cancers and obviously uh, consequences of having been exposed to radiation that they were not aware of. Can I tell you that's the way wrong thinking gets into a culture? When a seminal thinker drops a nuclear by a thought system, a belief system that is very, very convincing. You don't see the results of it at first in that culture. But when time marches on, you begin to see it, a drop in morality, a drop in ethics, a lack of belief in God. I'm telling you, I believe our Western culture right now is in a meltdown. 
philosophically, we're in a meltdown. We have sown the wind, we're reaping the whirlwind. What wind did we sow? We sowed secular humanism, situational ethics. We said there were no absolutes. We threw the Word of God out. We kicked Him out of our schools. And, and, and as these belief systems found their way into our culture at first, everybody said, oh, we're being set free. We've been set free from superstition and ancient beliefs. Now we are our own people. But as time has marched on, we're beginning to see the consequences of these erroneous belief systems. Are you with me? Now, let me just go back into American history just for a second. In 1795, when America was not even 25 years old, one of the founding fathers, Thomas Paine, wrote a book called The Age of Reason. He started The Age of Reason when he was in France uh, uh, right before the French Revolution. And this book soon became one of the most persuasive criticisms of the Bible ever written. The age of reason. Doesn't that sound just so slick? We are of the age of reason. We've become reasonable. We've become logical. We've moved ahead. We have dropped these old superstitious beliefs and this thing called faith. Now we're sophisticated. Now we're educated. We're reasonable. The age of reason. But in the age of reason, pain attacked the Bible. He attacked the belief that the Bible was the Word of God. He wrote, I do not believe in the creed professed by the Jewish church, the Roman church, the Greek church, the Turkish church, the Protestant church, or any church that I know of. My own mind is my own church. Say with me, seminal thinker. Because see, Thomas Paine was educated, he was intelligent, uh, uh, he was very articulate. And that's the way they always are. And I'm not saying that he meant to do what he did. But with his book, Pain helped launch a movement that placed, watch this now, reason above faith, common sense above revelation, and, the, and that removed God from the center of the universe, replacing it with man at the center. Very important because everything I just read to you is anti-scriptural. But this is what he did. And you have got to understand this with me tonight. Now, historians came along and they tagged that period of time birthed by these people, the age of enlightenment. Doesn't that sound even better than the age of reason? We are enlightened. We've given up faith for reason. Now, it was not all bad because several of the myths that had been propagated by the Roman Catholic Church of that day were destroyed, such as the myth that the earth was central to the universe rather than the sun, stuff like that that was always hokey, and the church had misinterpreted the Word of God on these things. And so you had people walking around thinking, well, the earth is the center of the universe and, and everything else revolves around it. And of course, Copernicus and others came along and said, no, that's not the way that it is. But for a while, the church taught that and made the church look bad when the truth was revealed. So it was good that these myths were removed. But now, the negative side of the age of enlightenment was that a great premium was placed on the discovery of truth through the observation of nature and by human reasoning 
rather than through the study of authoritative sources like the Bible. With the Age of Enlightenment and Paine and others like him, the Bible was put on the shelf and gathered dust. It is a superstitious, old-fashioned, uneducated book for people who don't think. See that anywhere in our day? Now, they, that is those of the Enlightenment, opted for a form of deism. Now, what is deism? Deism is the belief that, well, probably an intelligent being created the world and the universe, but as soon as he was done, he stepped out of the picture and never involves himself in the affairs of men. That's what deism teaches. And so they accepted the existence of God and of a hereafter, but they rejected the intricacies of Christian theology or what we would call Christian living. They rejected it. The New Testament and the way it teaches people to live was rejected by this movement. And this movement swept Europe and swept the West. Here's what they said. Human aspirations, they claimed, should not be centered on the next life. We shouldn't be worried about the next life. We shouldn't be focused on the next life. That's silly. But rather, we ought to be focused on the means of improving this life. Now, nothing wrong with improving this life as long as you got one eye looking unto Jesus, really both eyes, and, and this life is fine and everything, but, but see, the Enlightenment denied the reality of life hereafter or being judged for the way that you lived, reaping consequences in eternity for the way that you live, and said, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die, this is all you get, so make the most of it. And that was Enlightenment thinking, and it came from seminal thinkers. What did the, the Apostle Paul write? He said, he's wrong. That is, pain and them are wrong. Pain and company are wrong. Because here's what I say, awaiting and looking for the fulfillment, the realization of our blessed hope, even the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So do you see the difference in these two? Paul was always saying, Keep your eye peeled on the horizon. He's coming back. Live like he could come back today. Because one day you're going to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into the reward of your Lord. But the enlightenment said, No, 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 no. Just focus on now. Do you recognize this? It's all about me and it's all about now. Now what did it do? Millions were turned away from salvation through faith in Christ. That's what it did. Can you see with me now, this thinking somehow was grabbed hold of by an entire culture and they became infected with it. It was like a virus, a thought virus. And a lot of people died of that plague. Now, I'm going somewhere. Y'all with me? Are you okay? Now, I'm showing you where I'm going. You, you need to see this because here's where we're going. History shows us that this is Satan's chief strategy to undermine faith in God, turn people away from the truth that is, as it is found in Christ, and carry entire cultures and societies into deception and despair through the convincing but misguided musings of unbiblical thinkers. Now, when we get up every day, 
and we flip on the news, how many of you can, can, can listen for about 10 minutes and then you're done with that deal? Because what are they doing? You, you'll hear your faith attacked, Christ attacked, God attacked. The values that you hold dear are mocked and ridiculed. And that which you think is totally wrong is elevated and exalted and promoted. And it's vexing anymore to watch TV. What are you up against? You're up against people whose minds have been polluted by erroneous thinking that has swept our country. And I'm going to get to what I think we're dealing with in our day. But please understand that the battle, when, when, when Paul talks about bringing down every thought and making it captive to the will of God, to Christ Jesus, and when he talks about strongholds, that word stronghold, as Paul uses it, is referring to thoughts and thought systems that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Okay? He's, he's dealing with philosophy, the way people think, the lens through which they view life. He's saying that there are thoughts, there are philosophies, there are belief systems that stand up in your mind and hold a stiff arm out to God and God's Word and say, you will not enter this mind. That's a stronghold. And our battle is bringing the Word into a fallen world and bringing those systems down with the gospel that we're going to see in just a minute so that these people can be set free. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Now, let me just give you a few other seminal thinkers you'll recognize. Darwin, you're going to deal with him. Now, has Darwin affected our world? Oh, yeah. How about Marx? Oh, yeah. How about Freud? Hmm? Yeah. How many of you ever used the phrase Freudian slip? How many of you think you've got an id and an ego? You can get that from the Word of God. You got it from Herr Freud. Now, these men and others like them generated philosophies that have been fervently grasped by masses of people but are erroneous and anti-scriptural. This is what we're battling against. Now, look what Paul the Apostle warned of when he said, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, how has he blinded? What is his tool of choice to blind the minds of men? Wrong, erroneous belief systems. Your battle is between your ears in the gray matter. Jesus revealed the truth about Satan. I think we ought to read this together. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan can't even utter a sentence without lying. He's the father of all that is a lie. 
So where do these false philosophies ultimately come from? Come on, y'all. They come from a highly intelligent, fallen archangel called the devil. That's where they come from. Now, follow along carefully, and we're headed towards the Word now. Whether you reach back to the first century Gnosticism, which you know about if you've been in this class with me on Wednesday nights, whether you reach back to the first century Gnosticism, the apostles constantly battled to the following four centuries of Caesar worship in Rome, or you travel through the thousand-year-long European dark ages where the common man had no Bible and the misguided Roman Catholic Church exalted the Pope above Christ, and they did, on into the 18th century age of enlightenment or the 19th century arrival of Darwinian evolution or the 20th century plague of atheistic communism, Marxism, and fascism on into the present 21st century right now that we're in of political correctness, secular humanism, and situational ethics, every generation has had its own custom-made lies. Okay? Really important to get this because we're tackling political correctness and humanism and situational ethics right now. Now, each time they were designed, each time these philosophies were designed to overthrow the truth found in Christ and faith in a creator God. No wonder Paul warned, and I want you to read this with me, would you? Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Amen. That's Colossians 2.8. Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's good. So this is the kind of thing we're going to be dealing with in the next few weeks, and that's why I've set it up tonight. I'm just laying the foundation. Because when we deal with evolution next week, we're dealing with these seminal thinkers whose lies, whose, whose misguided philosophies have affected our culture and are affecting you and me and need to be battled with the Word of God. Now, in our current 21st century, the attacks against Jesus have become brazen. Have you noticed that? Man, there's not even an attempt to hide it anymore. I mean, they just come right on TV uh, uh, and, and just attack Jesus and attack you. You're the only fair game in the West anymore. They won't attack a Muslim. They won't attack a Buddhist. They will not attack an atheist, but they'll attack you. Now, they come under the proposition, here's how Jesus is being attacked. It comes under the proposition that there are no absolute truths. There's not any. That's what we're told. The Bible's only one way of looking at things. There are many others Come, come now, Jesus Christ is not necessary for salvation. There are many options, or even, why do we even need to be saved at all? There can't be just one Savior, because there's no absolutes. And so there's many ways to be saved, or we don't need to be saved at all. When I was teaching First John here on Wednesday nights, uh, a few months ago, there were three popular books on the bestseller uh, list and the Da Vinci Code being chief among them. 
And all three of these bestsellers attacking, brazenly attacking Jesus Christ. We didn't see this 20 years ago. We didn't see this 30 years ago in America. You couldn't have gotten away with this 50 years ago in America. You would have been ridden out of town. You'd have been tarred and feathered. Hello, everybody. There is a meltdown going on in America, and the only solution is the truth in love coming from the mouths of believers. That's the only solution. And right now, as I speak, there's three best-selling books by atheists debunking God, and they're selling millions. And they are like Goliath. They remind me of Goliath. They're, they're coming on talk shows and basically saying what Goliath said. I challenge you to give me somebody from the armies of Israel who will fight with me. They're basically saying, I challenge you as an atheist, give me somebody to debate me and I will destroy them. And you know what it's going to take? It's going to take a little David. And I mean a, a David church that refused Saul's armor. I am not going to face you in somebody else's armor that I've never tried. I'm not going to face you with fleshly weapons. I am not going to face you with intellect. I am going to go down to the brook of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to pull out five smooth stones of wisdom. I'm going to put them in the, the, the sling of my faith, and I'm going to hurl them into your forehead, and I'm going to bring you down, not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. I tell you, I was shocked when I saw this. Uh, a recent Discovery Channel documentary claimed that the bones of Christ had been found in a tomb. And these attacks are having an effect. A recent Barna poll revealed this, quote, millions of Americans say they are personally committed to Jesus Christ, but they believe he sinned while on earth. It's a recent Barna poll. I mean, I'm talking about a couple of months ago. Many believers claim to trust what the Bible teaches, but they reject the notion of a real spiritual adversary. Or they feel that faith-sharing activities, like sharing your witness for Christ, are just optional. I'll tell you who is witnessing. Muslims are witnessing. Jehovah's Witnesses are witnessing. Mormons are witnessing. And we, we, we are, we're, we're asleep in the light. That's why I'm sharing these messages. we got to get out there. And if, if you can't be burdened about souls, you can't be moved to witness to somebody because you don't want to see them lost, let me give you a whole new motive to witness. If you don't want to wake up some morning with a Muslim horn blowing, commanding you to turn east and face the mosque and pray, you better start witnessing for Christ and make Him famous all over again. Not infamous, famous. Paul said, I am not as somebody who beats the air. I know who my adversary is. We are not ignorant of his devices. And this is the enemy's primary and chief device. He brings whole cultures 
into an assimilated lie and through that lie melts that culture down. So we fight it. 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 Now, and in the meantime, other religions are claiming the corner on the salvation market. Here's something I plucked out of Islam's teaching. Quote, the way to salvation is found in holding to the Quran and the Sunnah. I'm about to show you that's not true according to the Bible. So what does the Bible say about our salvation? How does Scripture respond to this cultural lie that there is no absolute there is no Savior, no need for a Messiah. Jesus was a fake. He married Mary Magdalene. They had kids. It was all a bunch of bunk. Millions and millions of Christians have been just a bunch of fools for 21 centuries. Hogwash. What does the Bible say about this lie? Can you read this with me again? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ. For it is God's power working unto salvation for deliverance from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender and firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Turn to your neighbor and say, say that be you. Okay. Now, Paul was talking to the Roman Christians whose city was mistress of the world. Her emperors worshipped as deity. And luxury abounded and power was supreme in Rome. That's where he is. That's who he's writing to. So it's no wonder that he used the word power because he was talking to the most powerful city on earth. And so as if to compare these things with, with what he offered, Paul holds up the supremacy of the gospel by saying that it was the power. Catch this, everybody. The power of God unto salvation. The gospel. What is it? God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel in one verse, the gospel in a nutshell. He said, that gospel is, is the power of God. Now, if I'm holding up a flaming torch and I'm walking into a black midnight, and that torch is lighting up things all around me. And I've got a bunch of people on the periphery saying, that torch isn't real. I don't believe that torch works. I don't believe it's what it says it is. I don't believe that torch is even there. I don't care what they say. I'm just going to keep holding that torch up because I know that torch works. I know it brings light. I know it exposes things in darkness. So I don't care what the critics say. I'm just going to keep holding my torch and walking into the dark. And that's the way I feel about the gospel. Now, he's saying to them, you may have military might, but my gospel is even more powerful. You can kill somebody, but I can transform them. Of the six words in Greek used for power, and the New Testament was written in Greek primarily, of the six words in Greek used for power, Paul chose dunamis, dunamis, to describe the mighty effect the gospel has on people. When he used the word power, in Greek he wrote dunamis. Now, so we translated it power, but here's what he was saying. Dunamis means power, natural ability, inherent power. Something that is inherently powerful 
It resides in a thing by virtue of its nature or power which a person or a thing exerts. See, I don't have to try to make the gospel powerful. It doesn't matter if I've got an IQ of 200 or an IQ of 70. When I quote the gospel, it has power in itself. Are you hearing me? It, it, when you share it, you may have people poo-poo it and say, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard all that. But let them criticize. Because when that gospel comes out of your mouth, it inherently has, contains the power of God. The gospel is the inherent, or inherent omnipotent power of God operating in the salvation of a lost soul that accepts it. Now notice that he says the power, or the gospel is, the power of God unto salvation. Now let's just pluck that one little word out of there, unto. It's taken from the Greek word ace, E-I-S, ice, ace, E-I-S, epsilon, iota, sigma, which means into, into. So literally, he's saying the, the, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. It's the way in. It's the door that gets you in. When you hear that gospel and you say, I believe it. I believe he died for me and rose from the dead. The gospel just took you into salvation. Praise God. The gospel is repeatedly presented as a mighty force in other New Testament books. You read in First and Second Corinthians, for instance. You'll see Paul in those two, 1 and 2 Corinthians, talking over and over again about the power of the gospel to change a life. The evidence of its power is in the effect it has. It is demonstrated not by argument, but by what it does. And looking at what it can do, Paul said, I'm proud to preach it anywhere. So when you utter the gospel... You just released the power of God into a room. You notice that when people get saved in our church, they almost always get saved before I even preach. I just share a little gospel message, and they come and they get saved. What did that? Not Jeff Wickwire, not the name on a sign. What does that? The gospel contains God's power. So it's just like I threw a little spiritual grenade out there. Boom! And people get changed. You say, I don't agree with the gospel. I don't care if you don't agree with it. Watch what my gospel does. Watch the effect it has. Look at all of you here tonight on a Wednesday night when the rest of the world is hitting the bars and, and, or sitting at home watching that hideous thing called television. And here you are in church with a Bible in your hand. What has happened to you? What has happened to you? Look at you. Who would have ever thunk it? Who would have ever placed you here 15 years ago? You know what did it? The gospel. Somebody lobbed a spiritual grenade your way, and it was the gospel. And you poo-pooed it, made fun of it, didn't believe it, but you heard the claim, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And like it or not, it slowly but surely got to you until finally you had to find God through Jesus Christ, and you called out on His name. His Spirit came into your heart, changed you into a new creature, a new species of being that has never before existed. Now, here you are, worshiping God. Can you say with me the gospel? Don't ever be ashamed of it. 
No wonder Paul called it my gospel. One commentator writes, the gospel is not merely a powerful means in God's hands, but is in itself a divine energy. It is the good news of salvation energized by the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to declare that through the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The sinner, once receiving the gospel, is declared justified, acquitted of all wrong, and righteous with the very righteousness of Christ. The righteousness offered by the gospel is God's own righteousness. The sinner's guilt is taken away by Jesus Christ, who bore our sin on the cross. I tell you, I love preaching the gospel because I watch what it does. Every Sunday, we just lob grenades out there in the audience. And I see people sitting out there, arms crossed, scowls on their face. You're not getting me, bub. I can see it written all over their countenance. But then halfway through the service, I see them. And then a little bit further along, and I see them. And then I give them the invitation. And they're as surprised as anybody. What did it? The gospel. We got to have confidence in the gospel. In the gospel itself. Amen? Scripture absolutely presents a one-way route to salvation and one narrow road to heaven. That's the testimony of the Bible. Now read these verses with me, can you? And preach to me a little bit. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Now this one, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, how? In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I saved the best one for last. Preach it for me now. Come on. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Does that sound exclusive? Totally. Is it narrow? Totally. Is it right? Totally. Finally, Paul says that this salvation is accessed exclusively through faith. And we're about to close, but look at this. He says in verse 16, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The gospel reveals a righteousness of God which is bestowed on the principle of faith, not on the merit of good works on the part of the sinner. The original language reads this way, Moreover, the just out of faith shall live. That's the way it reads, word for word. The just out of faith shall live. So faith is the means by which we reach up, and don't tell me you don't have faith. And our friends listening by radio, don't think you don't have faith. You do. Because it says God has given to every person a measure of faith. You have enough faith to get saved, and then you've got enough faith to grow, and you've got enough faith to get you to heaven, because you've got enough faith to be born again. So don't say you don't have faith. You may have some doubt, that's okay. But you've got a measure of faith in you. And that faith is the means by which 
We look up and say, Lord, I believe. And when you look up and say, I believe, and I accept what you did for me, then he reaches down, he enters your soul by the Holy Ghost, he transforms you on the inside, he gives you a new heart, and you're born twice. And it happens by the medium of faith. Now, in closing, the cultural lie that attacks, that attacks the purpose for which Jesus came, the salvation of our souls, is exposed and destroyed by Scripture's testimony that Jesus Christ is the only way to the salvation of our souls. The gospel is energized with God's power to transform our lives by the washing away of our sins and the new birth experience. Exposing cultural lies. So if you ever get on Larry King and you say to him, you don't know how to get saved, I'm going to fly out to Atlanta and find you. I'm kidding. Stand up, would you? <clears throat> How many of you needed this tonight? So get out there and share that gospel. Amen? Share that gospel. <clears throat>